Hey, do you know where the word assassin comes from? Where? People thought that a suicide attacker must have been high on a drug. The Persian word hashashin means eater of hashish. I don't want to kill anyone. Let's get some ice cream and take a nap. <laughs> All right. Will you order me one? I don't feel like walking. <laughs> nah, my hands are too numb to use a phone app. They don't work. <laughs> I mean, who, who thinks you can jump out and kill a guy with a knife while you're smoking? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Neil, and UBS Premium people, welcome back to this week's episode. Hey, Sandra. Today we are talking about the attempted killing of Salman Rushdie by a man named Hadi Matar, who apparently sympathizes with the current regime in power in Iran, and more broadly, the historical context of such actions, which, sadly are a lot older than our modern age and relatively unchanged over 800 years. Yeah, sadly is the word for sure. A Persian assassin rising to prominence and then trying to fight the whole world sounds like a terrorist plot started in the 1970s, but in reality that tradition goes back to the 11th century. Yeah, these stories have inspired novels, films, uh, hugely popular video games and movies, and even our man with the plan, Shakespeare. Yes, another trick to talk about Shakespeare in a dubious episode. It never stops with Neil, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am who I am. As our boy Macbeth said, I am in blood step so far. And you will step even more in blood <laughs> if you don't stop. <laughs> So, to recap the news and the history behind it, Salman Rushdie is an Indian-British author from a fairly liberal Muslim family who became an international pariah after his publication of a novel in the late 1980s called The Satanic Verses. That novel landed at the height of the satanic panic in the US, so the title alone made it popular in the West, but the Islamic world latched onto it as well. The Ayatollah Khomeini himself issued a fatwa for Rushdie. In other words, a reward offered for his assassination. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know what I always say, right? You can ignore your trauma and hope it disappears, but the only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us. Fireballs, speedballs, too many balls. <laughs> and when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best and it affects your interactions with the people you care about. So how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, dupe friends, I'm a BetterHelp happy customer. I've been using their services since way before we even started this podcast. I can attest to the fact that Sandra is, uh, shall we say, a much lovelier person to be around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off of your first month if you sign up at betterhelp.com dubious, or just click that link in the episode notes. 
Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Visit BetterHelp.com dubious to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash dubious. And a man from New Jersey tried to collect on the fatwa just last week. Rushdie was giving a talk at a literary event in New York, and Hadi Matar ran up on the stage and stabbed him several times before being tackled and arrested by a state police officer. Thankfully, it seems he will survive this attack, so... The Ayatollah's fatwa against him still stands today. Yeah, and as of this recording, not a lot of detail about Rushdie's attacker is known, but we know enough, I think. Police say his social media accounts had lots of stuff about the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and General Soleimani, who was assassinated himself by the United States during the Trump administration in a drone strike. So yeah, it's pretty obvious where the investigation is going to go. Yes, probably. There's also a lot of talk about security at this event, or lack thereof, but I don't know. I'm tempted to side with the event coordinators here and maybe give them a little bit more leeway. Well, you're being very generous. I mean, like, why? It seems like a small price to pay to avoid these sorts of things, having metal detectors and a little bit of security, some security staff present. It doesn't seem an outrageous request to me, right? Well, I'm biased. I have an outrageous amount of time spent in airports, and my hatred of the TSA grows with every trip. So, uh, And they do nothing of value on most days other than harass everyday people about water bottles and shampoo. So... Anyway. I will have to give you that. So look, I understand the whole thing after 9-11 with the water bottles and so on, but sometimes it feels a bit excessive. I mean, I do remember uh, traveling, I think, from Vienna to London or London to Vienna. I don't know. And they took away. I had like the tiniest hand cream and it was like a Chanel one and they took it away and I was so upset about it. Like, why? It's just, I mean... I don't know. I do get why. I understand. But still, it upset me. That's why we're going to get podcast famous and we're going to fly private everywhere we go. Yes, I can only hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question. What is a fatwa exactly? And how many of them are there still floating around? And how long are they valid? Are these like forever? Uh, they're really funny. And there are a lot of them since any notable Islamic cleric can issue one, apparently. It's a non-binding legal opinion of a cleric. That's all it is. And there have only been two recently which were aimed at people. One at an Egyptian secular writer named Farag Foda, who was murdered in 1992. And then there's the one for Salman Rushdie uh, from 1989, issued by the Ayatollah Khomeini. And the rest of them are pretty silly, really. I mean, there are multiple fatwas saying that singing is haram. And then, no wait, singing is okay in another fatwa from another guy. <laughs> so <laughs> there's one on soft drinks that says, surprisingly, you can have Coke and Pepsi, which are not haram. Um, there's one in Syria against smoking. 
But from my experience, people in the Muslim world are often very happy cigarette smokers, so that one's not doing so well. <laughs> Obviously, and they do have, uh, you know, even those lounge, how do you call them, Neil? The hookah bars, yes. Yeah, the hookah bars and the hookah lounges. And I mean, that's all they did when I went to Tunisia. That's what we did half I the know. day, you know, so. Yes. That fatwa, I don't see a future for that fatwa. No, Let that, me that put that it that way. Is, uh, <laughs> you need to go back to the drawing board on banning smoking. There's also one from an Egyptian imam urging people to kill uh, Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. But let's be honest. I mean, like the U.S. or the CIA probably paid them to write that one. So whatever. Yes. Uh, there was another one shortly after that one to kill the pyramids because they are idols. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. That sounds insane. Well, for one thing, they are not idols. They are tombs. Yes. So they did not do much reading into that one before they wrote Well, it. you know, reading and logic and, you know, well, and critical you know. thinking, these things don't go hand in hand with, you know, the fanatically religious. Let's put yes. it that way. And there was one in Indonesia telling people to stop saying Merry Christmas to Christians. Okay. <laughs> And there's another Indonesian one. Indonesia, I think, uh, they seem to be trying to raise their profile in Texas and Mississippi. There's a fatwa from Indonesia against the measles vaccine. Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you are shocking me with this stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't understand. But do you see a similarity here about these Muslim religious people and some of our American Christian religious I people. Oh no, they may who, be. You know, uh, you know they. We have a say. problem with the anti-vaxxers, and yes. it's starting with people like this. And look, I don't know if you saw, but there have been a bunch of polio outbursts, Neil, across the world. Uh, we used to joke. I mean, we were joking about that in the early two thousands when the whole anti-vaccine thing started. Looking forward to polio coming back, so it was a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah, and it became reality. Like, the jokes are coming true. That's where we are right now. So the only one left that is really worth talking about in this episode to our dear, dear, lovely premium subscribers, we love you guys, is the one aimed specifically at Salman Rushdie then, right? Yes, pretty much, from what I can see. All of this has been following Salman Rushdie around since the 1980s. Yeah, when the Satanic Verses was published, there were bookstore bombings, mass demonstrations, and book-burning gatherings in Muslim societies, and even a few murders. Insane. And due to all of this, Rushdie lived in hiding with a permanent security presence for a decade after the publication of the Satanic Verses, but he's re-entered public life since. Those who watch Bill Maher's political commentary show on HBO will probably recognize him, even if they don't recognize the name. He's a pretty regular guest. And to clarify, this book was a novel. It was plainly marketed as fiction, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on the content of it. But the part deemed heretical by the Ayatollah was about a passage rumored to be edited from the original Quran. It described three goddess figures worshipped in ancient Mecca who were to be included as deities in the final text. Muhammad changed his mind in the story and rejected the passages mentioning the goddesses, saying that Satan tempted him to include them. The novel's narrator reveals in the end that the passages were in fact words directly from the archangel Gabriel. So all of this can be read as a criticism of the Islamic world's oppression of women, basically, which we agree with Salman Rushdie about, of course. Of course, absolutely. And look, I hate to say this, but there has been this historical trend that somehow secular writers, like the one you mentioned before, 
they hate atheists. And this is the thing. They did a study in the United States and a bunch of other civilized, quote unquote, countries, right? And apparently, atheists are hated more than actual terrorists, like people who kill people and blow up things. I mean, which is insane because, no, 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 let me finish my point. I want people to understand that this society, our society, any society, is only moving forward because of the atheists. Those are the NASA people, those are the medical science people, those are the doctors, the scientists, and the smartest people, they are the locomotive. And the rest of the people are the wagons of the train, which are being carried forward by the locomotive. So, you know, the fact that we have laptops, phones, and stuff, anything we have, air conditioning, medical treatments, everything, that doesn't come from religious people. Let me put it that way. I had to say it, Neil. I had to say it. That's fine. And to be <laughs> honest, that may have been what pushed him over the edge into fatwa territory because Salman Rushdie has openly called himself a, quote, hardline atheist for many years. Good. Yes, I'm telling you, our people, if they have not read Salman Rushdie by the end of this, they're going to like him. So he's a person worth reading for many other reasons, too. And we're going to do our best to connect these historical dots together in the episode from the origin of assassins all the way up to Salman Rushdie. Yes, and as we mentioned at the top, the notion of Persian assassins is quite old, but the similarities to and influence upon our modern era are very similar in their medieval origins. Yeah, the word itself comes from a real historical figure. His name was Hassan az-Sabah, who actually met Marco Polo on his travels toward the Far East. Marco Polo's writings referred to him as the Old Man of the Mountain, a nickname which has stuck with Hassan over the centuries. I like that. It's poetic. It is, isn't it? The old man of the mountain. It's beautiful, yes. Yes. Hassan came to political power in a carefully crafted conspiracy among Shia revolutionaries he recruited to try and overthrow an oppressive Sunni dynasty in a region also within present-day Iran. The ruling dynasty in Hassan's time extracted excessive taxes from farmers, artisans, and craftsmen, other such people of the lower classes, basically. So Hassan devised a plan to overthrow one of the local rulers, take his castle, and establish it as a base from which he could orchestrate popular revolutions. I do like Hassan, I have to say. Yes. I kind of feel him, yeah. And while Hussein Mahdi of the Al-Mud territory was meeting with the vizier Nizam al-Mulk, who ruled the larger Sunni region, incidentally about an order to arrest and execute Hassan, Hassan disguised himself as a teacher and gained the trust of the Mahdi court in Al-Mud castle while Mahdi was away. He even befriended guards and diplomats within the castle, up to and including Mahdi's deputy minister. So when Mahdi returned to Alamut Castle and asked why there were new guards in new posts he did not recognize, he was told that the former guards had fallen suddenly ill and had to be replaced with new ones. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how the uh, medieval Muslim world made their Novichok umbrellas and doorknobs. (laughs) Yeah, right? Anyway, when a sufficient number of the people had been recruited from villages outside of the castle and a sufficient number of the guards and members of the court inside the castle had converted to Hassan's cause, Hassan revealed himself to Mahdi. Mahdi yelled for the guards to seize him, but the guards simply watched as Hassan calmly told Mahdi, this castle is now mine and escorted him out of the gate. 
So Hassan had seized an entire castle and the region surrounding it without killing a single person. That is a great achievement. You know, this reminds me of what uh, Nikita Khrushchev said when, <laughs> when he said we're going to take America from within without firing a single shot. Exactly, there, yes. There we are, yeah. And once in power, Hassan al-Sabah built one of the greatest centers of knowledge and political conspiracy in the medieval era. His library was known across the world for its collection of rare books, papers, and scientific instruments of the day. So it was state-of-the-art everything for that time. Exactly. I mean, and I think we should clarify here that at times the Muslim world was the center of scientific advancement throughout the medieval era. It was kind of back and forth. The thing that really destroyed the Muslim world scientific advancement was Baghdad was conquered by the Mongols. Um, they destroyed centuries worth of knowledge, and that set the Muslim world back, you know, centuries just from the brain power that was lost. But that's another topic for another day. Yes, that and also to combined with that religious fanaticism that became more prevalent as the centuries yes. passed, because you know you can't do research or science. When, you know, you're supposed to stick to certain rules and fatwas and stuff that are like, don't drink Pepsi, <laughs> don't dance. Dancing is no, bad or can, don't. Or women can't drive because right. it affects their ability to be pregnant or crazy stuff like that. But one more thing about what you said. A lot of people don't know, but the numbers we use in math, the Arabic numbers, they are called Arabic numbers because they were invented by the Arabs, right? So the not the Roman ones. So one, two, three, the numbers, those come from the Muslims. Yes. Exactly. They yes. were they were a very civilized and very educated population and culture, yes. And for the political conspiracy part that Sandra mentioned, while he came to power without killing anyone, Hassan would not remain so peaceful. Neil, please tell the people what's our ace in the sleeve for making this podcast. Simple. Anchor by Spotify. Yes, Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast even for the least technical people like me. Anchor has all the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Yes, guys, from your phone. You can be on the couch cuddling with your pets and working on your podcast at the same time. Incredibly easy. Plus, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Yes, Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Oh, so we have uh, we have a hero that turns into a villain. I love it's this kind of story. It's a great story, isn't it already? Yes. His most notable vocation was the training of what we now know as assassins. And Hassan was the likely origin of this term. And that term later managed to find its way into the English-speaking world via Shakespeare's play, Macbeth, about killing a king. So Hassan trained men to conspire against rulers and carry out contract killings of notable people exactly as he had done to seize his territory. His assassins would gain access to royal courts as scholars and diplomats, and then would suddenly attack and kill those they had befriended. Since they would likely be killed by guards after doing this, these were sort of, you know, the OG suicide bombers of the medieval era. Uh, the English word assassin comes from either the Persian word hashashin, as we mentioned at the intro, meaning eaters of hashish, 
uh, because some unwilling to spend years gaining the trust of a king only to kill him in a suicide attack surely must be high on something. Yeah, or perhaps the Arabic word hasa, which means to slaughter and exterminate a group of people. Sorry to burst yes. your bubble. Yes, no, it, it makes sense. And look, Hassan, I think, was kind of like the first so he started his career, so to speak, as a good guy. Then he organized a coup, took over the palace, apparently to help the poor and, you know, for the middle classes. And then he turned bad, right? And now he is well, he's and slaughtering like, people. And is he trying to conquer all the world? What was his plan? He was doing a lot of this stuff on a contract basis. These were killers for hire in some cases. Within the Muslim world, he had his political enemies and his you know, theocratic enemies, but he would kill anyone uh, if the price was right. So this is sort of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like us. It's a mixture of ideology and you know, profit motivation, so to speak. Oh, don't compare us to a mass murderer. <laughs> Come on. We are nice people. We are good people. And we love the pets. We love pets and we adopt pets. Yes. So we are. We're, don't compare us to Hassan. But like considering the Crusades, maybe more likely as far as the origin of the word assassin, maybe you're right. I think it's more likely that the second one to slaughter and exterminate a group of people makes more sense. I think so. But as some might say, I like it my way. <laughs> the hashish story has a lot more punch to it it does i think both of them combined are pretty good together i would say so i'm gonna go for both i want it also <laughs> so the crusades were not the only territorial wars that hassan's people became participants in no they were not eventually the mongols of genghis khan fame conquered alamut after a three-year siege and were so upset about the practice of secretly murdering kings that they ordered the castle demolished and sadly they also had hassan al-shabazz great library burned to try and erase his memory from the history books but not before hassan had already left his mark his knife-wielding assassins left a trail of dead victims from high societies all around the medieval world. The first notable victim of his assassins was predictably the vizier Nazim, who had ordered his arrest. He also managed to assassinate King Conrad I of Jerusalem and very nearly killed King Edward I of England, who narrowly survived his stab wounds. About 50 successful assassinations were carried out by Hassan's suicide soldiers in his lifetime, all of them princes, governors, kings, generals, and other such important people, both Christian and Muslim alike. So the lone assassin was etched into the world's memory and remains today, whether it's a suicide bomber or a guy with a knife trying to kill Salman Rushdie in front of a crowded theater. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And with the facts out of the way... Let's try to draw our line from the 12th century assassins through Shakespeare's depiction of such a person in Macbeth on up to the modern day examples. So the takeaway of Macbeth was not so much the act of killing a king for ambition. The theme was the shame and the grief that Macbeth and his wife were feeling for doing the deed. Well, I know Shakespeare wasn't above a little royal propaganda. Surely the real king liked the idea of a play about people feeling bad because they killed the king. Yeah, I mean, Henry V is basically that too. And the history says that King James I actually saw Macbeth performed, and he loved it, of course. 
But when Macbeth kills the king, the royal horses go mad, there are storms, an owl attacks a hawk. Uh, there's a whole string of weird kind of semi-supernatural events which seem to happen due to the assassination. So there's a sense that the violence has harmed the world, not just the people in the story. And hopefully our enlightened listeners will get where we're coming from here and why we like Salman Rushdie so much. There's yes, a... and if they don't, do you care to explain? <laughs> just yes, we're getting sure. to that right now, actually. <laughs> There's a particularly okay. good article written about Salman Rushdie in The Guardian by Kenyon Malik, and we'll link it in the notes. And he wrote this about the Satanic Verses controversy. Quote, Muslim fury seemed to be driven not by questions of harassment, discrimination, or poverty, but by a sense that their deepest beliefs had been offended. Today, such grievance is entrenched in the cultural landscape but not so in 1988 when the Satanic Verses were published. Penguin, Rusty's publisher, never wavered in its commitment to the Satanic Verses. Today, on the other hand, all it takes to make publishers think again is the slightest hint that they might have given offense. Very good point. Rusty's critics lost the battle, but won the war. The Satanic Verses continues to be published, Yet the argument that it is morally wrong to offend has become widely accepted in the three decades since. The fatwa has, in effect, become internalized. This is so good. Uh, He's so right. I mean, this is exactly what's happening. And look, we've gotten to a situation where now reality is different for different people. Facts are, everybody has exactly. their own fact, which is so dangerous because if we can't, as a nation, and as nations all together... Coexist, so, at least. No, 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 no. If we can't, as a nation and as nations all together, agree on what reality is, how can we move forward in any direction or come to any happy conclusion or do anything we can't if we all see reality as being different and i mean this is the same mentality that says not only must you not use shall we say certain medical procedures for women but must make sure that no one else can do so either so it's not only about people having their own facts and crazy ideas it's about trying to impose. yes like i must impose yes yes i must impose my belief on everybody else and they all have to adhere to my set of beliefs and honestly again it goes back to religion this is what it is organized religion i'm all for personal spirituality that is different organized religions in my eyes they're all bad except buddhists maybe they're really nice people do you know that when buddhists dig a fence they also take out the little uh, caterpillars and whatever they might find and move them in a different ditch and make sure they survive i love that you should also like the taoist people from china whose philosophy basically boils down to imagine the tree by the river and think if you were as good at being you as that tree is at being a tree, imagine how happy you would be. That's a very good... Yes. I, yes. <laughs> that's yes. It. There's no other thing to read into it. That's the whole thing. So anyways, and this all goes both ways. I mean, a guy running up on a stage to kill Dave Chappelle over jokes is no different than a guy trying to kill Salman Rushdie over a novel. This stuff goes across the political spectrum. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's insane. The hate people have for each other in our day and age 
over politics and religion and identity and how desensitized we all are to it because of the constant reminders we get from our phones to witness it every day. Uh, it seems like everybody is trying to be Macbeth. And as we were preparing, I agree, yeah. as we were preparing our notes for this episode, uh, the news hit Twitter that someone had threatened to kill J.K. Rowling because she made a statement uh. of sympathy about Rushdie. Yeah, it just, I mean, it's a big boulder of insanity and it goes down the hill so fast exactly. and destroys everything in its path. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. And look, J.K. Rowling is not a good person. That's fine. She cannot be a good person. She's wrapped up in the whole transgender rights thing in the UK and she's one of these people that is uh, offended that people call themselves trans women, which, I mean, she's wrong and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that three random people from Twitter need to go post a picture of themselves outside of her house as a threat, which happened back in January. Yeah, this is how thing escalates. And if it's an eye for an eye, we're all going to be blind in the end. Exactly, that is the problem. Exactly. Not to say that I'm condoning what J.K. Rowling's like, that's insanity. Like, right. And we're going to get to Salman Rushdie does a better job of boiling this down. And we have a quote from him later along these lines. But... These culture wars are by far the dumbest invention of the 1980s, except that they serve the purpose of distracting everyone participating in them from the fact that eight people own half of a world that is literally burning up before our eyes. Yes, and about that, because really, I don't know if you've seen, it is insanity everywhere. It's either too hot and there are drafts or there are floods everywhere. Half the world is on fire. Half the world is starting to cry out for water. And I do not know where we're headed, but not in a good place. And let me tell you, the scientists are trying their best, but I think the ship of us stopping climate change has sailed. All we can do now is basically manage and try to prolong our survival on this planet that we fucked up. But... I don't see our species going on for more than maybe two, three generations at the most, I think. And I know, you know, it's like you don't have any kids, but I do. I have a daughter and it's hard to look your kid in the face and tell them, well, you know, you need to get out of here. You need to go somewhere else because, you know, Dallas is not going to be inhabitable in your lifetime. So don't plan on living here. And yeah. If those kids had the wisdom of age that I do, Sandra doesn't because she's a millennial. But oh, I, I don't do. know if I should be mad at you <laughs> or if I should be flattered because you put two of those things in one phrase. So As I'm... I told you, it's a it's a very literary episode. So, <laughs> I mean, if those kids had the wisdom of age that I do, then they would look back in our faces and say, what's wrong with you? You did this to us. And they would be right. Yes. And this is another thing that, you know, I feel is very frustrating. You know, when election time comes and you have, and I don't want to be ageist, but you have all these Southern elderly people who 99% of them have certain views and they vote in a certain way. But I don't know how to say this delicately. They will be gone in a few years, right? And the consequences are going to remain with us. Those who are still, you know, young enough and alive 
and we're going to be dealing with all kinds of issues and all kinds of laws and all kinds of tragedies because of this. So it's not only like the climate, it's also social, economic, all kinds of decisions. They're all intertwined. They all affect each other, our whole entire world. And it's just a lack of kindness and communication. And, you know, exactly. Yes. It could all be fixed. Just don't be a cunt, basically. That's all there yes, needs to be. Exactly. You're going to need to beep that, but. <laughs> yes. Besides Salman Rushdie's novels, do we have any other books for everyone this time? Yeah, actually we do. There's a fictional adaptation of the Hassan Az-Sabah story written by a Slovenian named Vladimir Bartol called Alamut from the 1930s. The story is quoted repeatedly by William S. Burroughs, uh, another favorite author of cultural criticism of mine. The most quoted line from the novel Alamut is, nothing is an absolute reality. Everything is permitted. And you can read that one way if you're talking about assassins. But if you're reading Salman Rushdie, you can read it another way. In an interview he gave in 2006, Rushdie said, we all live in stories. Nation is a story. Family is a story. Religion is a story. Community right. is a story. And we all live within and with these narratives. And it seems that a definition of any living, vibrant society is that you constantly question those stories. Mm -hmm. In fact, the arguing never stops. The argument itself is freedom. It's not that you come to a conclusion about it. And through that argument, you change your mind sometimes, and that's how societies grow. When you can't retell for yourself the stories of your life, then you live in a prison. Somebody else controls the story. These words should be included in all children's textbooks across exactly, the world. Yes. Yes. Well, we hope you all are like our stories and Salman Rushdie's stories. And since Neil hinted at it above in the comment about us all watching the world burn, there's another quote from the Alamut novel worth repeating. I feel sorry for the garden. No one is thinking about the flowers. No one is thinking about the fish. No one wants to believe that the garden is dying, that the garden's heart has swollen under the sun, that the garden is slowly forgetting its green moments. I have nothing else to add to that. So, on that note, where's your dubimeter going to land on crazed, knife-wielding culture warriors? attacking artists in theaters. So between the hashish eating etymology and the story of Hassan, I would say, uh, I would say an eight yeah. for the whole story. Yeah. The fact that in 2022, we still have basically a guy from the 12th century jump out of a crowd and try to kill a celebrity on a stage. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same thing. We have learned nothing in 800 years. That's an idea that never changed. And Salman Rushdie is symbolic of these changes and conversations and progress in society and free thinking. Yes. And, and the assassin is the symbol of something that stays the same, doesn't change, doesn't evolve. And this is where I feel, in a way, all these old teachings and religious teachings crash with, I don't know, a healthy society. Yes. This is what it is. Yeah. Well... We hope you guys liked our quick run through the history of assassins. We would like to tell you that the world is past all this stuff, but clearly not. Yes, apparently not. We have a long way to go. And please tell us what you think on our social media, everyone. We are a dubious pod. And that's all we have for this one. We'll see you guys next time.